Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. What is happening, people? Welcome to another episode of CISO Talk, and it's the last one of the year for 2021. Like I said, I'm restructuring the show. I posted that on LinkedIn after having the baby and everything else I'm doing. It's about time I finally restructure CISO Talk after three years. So we'll be back at the end of January 2022 with more awesome content. But I've got a really special guest on today's show, so please make sure to smash the subscribe button. In the time we'll be out, we'll be reposting some of our favorite episodes until we come back. But you're not here to listen to me. You're here to check out who my next guest is. And I promise you, dun, 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 dun. we're getting ready to go, folks. It's football season. We got someone special coming up. Here we go. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO. James Azar. I really wanted to license the Fox like kickoff song for the NFL to have you on, Thomas. You know, you should have. Uh, I think it might cost a little bit, but uh, it would have been awesome if you were able to accomplish that. <laughs> James, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I appreciate you obviously allowing me on this platform and, and you're doing good things for the community. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Happy to have this conversation with you. And uh, wow, last show of the of the year. Yeah. So, so the last show of the year for me, I've had to restructure because because uh, baby's here. And, uh, you know, pre-baby, I was doing like 10, 12 podcasts a week, right between like Clubhouse and everything, Cyber Hub and uh, the other side of cyber and, and and everything else, and I've kind of been like, all right, gotta kind of wrap it all in. So I'll be doing uh, massive two days of recordings, um, and then publishing episodes uh, over over a season period, kind of uh, taking the NFL model. Hey. Right? Can get ready all year, run four months worth of uh, content, and then uh, re-record and come back. Yeah, if, if only uh, doing cybersecurity took that model as well, right? <laughs> but I was going to say, you, you forgot the one thing also that you're missing, which is sleep. I'm sure you're not sleeping. No, I, I am sleeping. You know, luckily, the U.S. Army taught me really, really well about catnaps. So I'm able <laughs> to do like a 30-minute catnap in the middle of the day. 
and I come out and it's like six, seven hours of sleep and I'm ready to go. That's awesome. Right. But folks, Thomas Maldonado, he's the sister over at the National Football League for our international crowd. That is the football, not soccer, like a man sport, you know, pads, like hitting, right? Concussions, the good stuff. Um, but um, Tomas is joining us on today's episode, and it's the final episode, so it's a very special guest, like I said. Um, Tomas, but for our audience, would you mind just giving them a little bit of background of how you got started in security? What was kind of like the driving factors for you to really pursue a career in cyber? Yeah, sure. No, look, like like every CISO, I'm sure, you know, they they were sitting in their house when they were probably about four years old and said, I can't wait to grow up and be a CISO for a major company and secure that company. No, look, I I, I, I wish I could say I had a story like that and maybe other people who are sort of coming up now so that next generation of talent will have stories like that based on, you know, things like these podcasts where we can share our journey. But when I was growing up, there was no concept of a CISO. So I'm a little old, older, I guess, uh, even though I, I might not look it, but uh, I am a little old. You know, I always say I kind of stumbled into security, right, into cybersecurity. I, I wanted to be a network engineer. You know, when I was when I was going through my last years in college, I was a computer scientist by education, never programmed outside of college because I didn't think that that, that computer science programming background fit my, my personality. And again, this is, you know, years ago, not a lot of mentors in the space, not really knowing what a programmer does. But my mindset of a programmer at the time was what I would see on TV. You know, somebody that was maybe slightly nerdy, you know, walking around, they might call a Poindex or, or somebody locked away in a room, jamming away at the keyboard, sort of creating, you know, jamming away at code. And I didn't think that that fit my, my, my personality. I, I thought, you know, I like programming. I like computers. The internet was starting to evolve. This is an opportunity for me to pivot and do something on the networking side. So rather than scrap my whole major and start over from from from, uh, from scratch, if you will, and get rid of four years of, of education, I actually took I finished my major within the, within two years in college, and then I started to take a lot of electives around networking. And so when I graduated college, I started off as a as every other person that doesn't know what they really want to do when they got out of college. I started off on the help desk doing IT support for good old Bloomberg. And what I learned very quickly within that time period was that I hated doing the help desk because you get stuck with calls that nobody ever calls you to say, hey, you're doing a great job. They always call you to complain. And if you're working at sort of Bloomberg, my mind. My motto was Bloomberg Tech Support, Tomas speaking, and somebody would call you with a, with angry comments. My Bloomberg is not working. I can't make a trade. I can't see my research. So I learned very quickly that help desk was not my future. But I also learned was that what I also learned about, uh, on that path was that getting a college education and sort of working through all that prepared me to do more than just do tech support. So I'm I've since I studied networking, I gradually uh, graduated into sort of network level support. And then I took a job. I, I remember taking a role where I almost remember, like, if it was yesterday, a recruiter tells me, hey, Tomas, I know you want to do networking. I've got this network security officer role opened up at this at this investment banking company. Why don't you go in and see if you like it? So I go in, I interview, everything works out. I get hired for the role, and I completely loved it. I 
was sent on training. I, you know, I, I learned how to do uh, TCP IP security. So I already knew about TCP IP, but I learned how to do things like fuzzing and, 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 and whatnot in the IP space. I learned a lot more around firewalls, really early detection systems, early intrusion prevention systems uh, or intrusion detection systems. Intrusion prevention systems weren't really around, around, around that time. Um, but I learned a lot about doing attacking and trying to break into computers. And what I found was, you know, my, my sort of upbringing, very modest upbringing, grew up in the Bronx, New York, had to hustle for just about every single thing. Uh, didn't grow up with, you know, with a silver spoon in my mouth, grew up, you know, from a working class family, that, that, um, attitude and, and sort of upbringing really helped me continue in my, in my professional career, because what I realized was that I really liked and enjoy sort of being able to take over a computer and having that power of taking over a computer. But I equally enjoyed the fact that I could do it and still secure it and not end up going to jail uh, for doing what I love doing, which was, you know, anyone like myself growing up in, in the inner city uh, in New York, you know, you, you, one of your main goals in life is 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 uh, not to become a statistic, right? And so, you know, that was a uh, part part of my my uh, upbringing, if you will, and part of the the sort of structure that I had. And a lot of that is to to my parents, right? My dad was a federal post postal officer, and my mom was a a very stern administrative ex executive administrative assistant uh, who kept me and my sister on the straight and narrow. So, you know, I always say I stumbled into security. I really did stumble into security. You know, it was a, it's been the best 20 plus years of stumble that I've done. And, you know, did I want to be a CISO at some point in time early on in, in my career? I did not. I had no aspirations to do anything from a CISO standpoint. Uh, but as I started to get more involved in the business side of what we do and why do we do it and how do we actually get that seat at the table, you know, and being able to explain cybersecurity and information security and these sort of demystify these these complex topics, if you will, to the, to my business stakeholders, that got me more, it opened up more opportunities for me to really do more than just be that hands to keyboard guy that knows how to break something or that hands to keyboard guy that knows how to do a risk assessment, uh, um, to do more than just that and really drive and build programs. So uh, I'll pause there because I know I kind of rambled on, but you know, that's a, that's a snapshot of a microcosm of my journey so far. It's an awesome journey. Um, I love your Bronx, New York background, right? Kind of the, the, you're kind of a homegrown New York. Um, and, and now you're sitting at, you know, possibly the, one of the greatest uh, institutions in America, the NFL, right? Um, the NFL for years has been kind of the place that's uh, transformed lives for so many people, right? The players alone, um, that, that come into the NFL. My brother-in-law was a player. So, so I know what that's, I know it transformed his life. So nonetheless, the NFL is one of those, I want to call it sacred institutions um, in, in America. And, and you're sitting at the helm of it and you're, you're a young New York guy. Like you're, 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 you're it, you're, you're the New York piece of it, which is, uh, I love your background, man, kind of going into computer science and, and, and moving into security is just, and networking and actually being keyboards hands-on. Do you think being keyboards and hand-on hands-on has helped you succeed as a CISO? Maybe it's helped you kind of from a leadership perspective? I think so, right? I, I think understanding, like really being able to understand 
how computers become compromised and how attackers are trying to approach their business, right? Because, you know, we, we play defense on the CISO side, the attackers play offense, and it's a business for them, right? There's certain countries and, and, and you know, whether it's state-sponsored type attacks and, and things like that that you might hear in the news. There's countries that that's their job. Their job is to go out and, and attack people. So I think being hands-on allowed me to at least bridge the gap uh, uh, and gain credibility with my, not only with my team, but my IT counterparts, right? Because I can explain and, and sort of get into the weeds, if you will. Now, I will say that I'm not as hands-on as I used to be. I don't remember the last time I actually uh, hacked into a computer, uh, but I did do a lot of Wi-Fi hacking and VLAN hopping and a lot of network security uh, or network uh, uh, hacking in my early days. But that really did help me sort of gain the credibility with my, my sort of uh, colleagues. And then What's helped me um, uh, tack on or add to that has been able to, to help me understand different vendors that are trying to sell me on products and solutions, right? Where I can dissect and cut through the, you know, cut through the BS, right? Is this really a product that's going to make sense in my environment? Is it really do what they say that, it, that, it, that they claim it does? Uh, and then I can then explain that to people that are not technical. So it's definitely a tool that I've used in my toolkit that's helped me a lot. And, and uh, one area that I don't tend to focus a lot more when I when I do sort of personal development. But if I had to do it all again, I would say my advice to those people that want to be CISOs is to spend a lot more time in marketing and communication classes and in those soft side, you know, the right. soft side of, of, of the of what we do as a profession. Right having to articulate and explain to a non-technical person technical terms, it, it could take you a while to figure that out because you can't talk in acronyms. You need to die, you know, you need to dissect your topic and make it so that it's regular layman's terms so that anyone can understand. And so my advice to people uh, trying to get become CISOs or, or be successful CISOs is spend a lot more time in, in communications and marketing and business writing uh, so that you can translate technology terminology to non-technology people and that'll really help you help propel your career so absolutely hands-on help me it helps give me credibility uh but i've had to develop and and work on a lot of the soft side of uh, security of skill set to help me with my uh with my program speaking of skill set you know says we, we we can't do the job alone we've got to build teams mm -hmm. and one of the biggest challenges we often hear from a lot of people who want to become and in, in, get into cyber is the challenge of getting in, right? How do I get that interview? Um, but I want to ask you, what are some of the skills and qualities you look for when you're trying to hire someone to join your team? What's some of the intangible qualities you're kind of looking to, to get from someone so that they can be part of your, your security team? Yeah, no, that's a great question, James. Look, at the end of the day, you're looking for someone and not to use sort of, I know I work in NFL, but it's the same concept of how you manage a sports team, right? You're looking for somebody that's coachable. So initially, you know, there's a few key things that you want to be able to do is one, does the person have in, uh, decent communication skills? Can they get their point across? Can they articulate what's in their brain and, and put that out there for you to have a conversation with? Uh, the other thing is, are they coachable? Are they are they able to, to listen and hear and understand what you're telling them? And can they modify their behavior? Can they modify the output? Can they work with what you're telling them, right? Or are they completely resistant to what you're saying? And then the third thing is, you know, there you, for what we do in, in, in information security, there is some level of security skill or technical skill that you need to have. Now, 
you can learn it. You can absolutely learn uh, what it is that you need to do for the job. And, you know, I'll break down my hiring practices into different levels, which is if I'm looking for somebody that's good, that, that will be a direct report to me, chances are I'm looking for a lot of leadership, coachability skills, business acumen, managing a budget, managing a team and motivating a team, because those leaders need to essentially represent me when I'm not in the room with their direct reports. And my personality is, you know, I consider myself an inclusive leader. So I try to get to a destination with my business stakeholders as a team, as a collaborative effort. Right. And so what I'm looking for for my leadership team is do they can they do they have very similar traits to me uh, and, and to how I would operate in different scenarios? And I'm trying to pull out those skills when I talk to them. Obviously, I need to have some level of security and, and technical skill because at the end of the day, what we do is is some component of a technical, uh, you know, it entails some technical attributes or aspects to it, uh, especially a large majority of the role. But if you're doing like training and awareness, I don't really need you to be the hands to keyboard person. I just right. need to know, can you educate people? Can you get a message out there to somebody? And are they, it is going to resonate with that individual, with your audience, right? So there's different skill sets that I look for uh, at different levels of my organization. If it's someone that I'm looking to do sort of a hands to keyboard pen testing, I'm probably going to be looking for somebody that's really technical. You know, they can they know their ins and outs of a, of a computer and they can sort of do it within within minutes. I almost picture like, you know, some of the movie, the the, the sensational movies that you see like Swordfish or, right. or some old hacking movies where somebody oh, yeah. where they get on a computer and within like minutes, they're like, all right, I broke in. You know, if depending upon the role, that might be what you're looking for. But I think there's certain things that you can't teach and you definitely can't teach somebody you can try to teach somebody to be coachable, but those are things that you either innately know how to do as a person. And those are the qualities that I look for because I learned to do my job on the job because when I started doing security, there wasn't a curriculum. Now there's curriculums in school. You can go to school and you can learn, you can get a degree, a master's degree, or even undergraduate degree in cybersecurity, which is great because it gives you some foundation. But when you come to a company to work, you have to understand that, a lot of what you learn in academia is not really uh, practical or useful, or you need to do things along the lines of risk management. So what I'm looking for is can this person adapt? Are they coachable? Are they receptive to feedback? Um, I, I like the coachable mentality, right? I think it's part of it is is, is communication. Coachable is, is a lot of very, very different things, right? It's communication. It's, it's desire. It's passion. It's learning. It's it, it, there's so many different aspects to it. I will tell you one thing though. Something that you said that really resonated with me is you look for leaders that can kind of carry your message when you're not in the room to their direct reports. I wish more people adopted that that rule when they promoted from within, right? Um, there's an aspect of that where you go, you, you know, we talk about the great, great resignation. I was on, on something, you know, on Clubhouse a few days ago and someone was like, hey, James, this great resignation. I'm like, well, people aren't resigning bad jobs. They're leaving bad leaders. Mm-hmm. It's true. No, it's true. Look, like we at any given point in time, there's people that are going to leave my team, and you know, I, I, I sort of, uh, I, I take it as a as a knock on me, right, on my leadership style. Did I do enough to to really help that person develop? Did I do enough to give them the opportunities? Um, you know, so when people leave, I, I ask them, like, was it me? Was it was it something around you know how you and I interacted with? And you know, 
I, I can honestly say the people that have left my team, they haven't said it was because of me. Uh, more times than not, it's because it's another opportunity that they just could not have within uh, within the company. Right. But I think you're absolutely right. There is a huge component of it, of of people leaving because of the bad leadership that they are working for, or the, or the leadership team and structure that they see at a company, right? And you know that huge reg. What, what is, what's the term that we would term that? The reg, huge resignation or, or massive mass the, the great resignation. Great resignation. Great resignation. Like I think I think a lot of that has to do with you know people have really started to key in on what quality quality of life looks like for them, and re- and really what's important for them, right? And and companies, you know, quite frankly, need to start to understand and be receptive and go through that exit interview process and really learn from those those that feedback that they're receiving so that they can stop or stop the bleeding or pivot and and change the trajectory for that company so that you minimize that ma- that sort of mass resignation that we're seeing. Um, I haven't really seen that at, 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 in my team, uh, but I have seen it across the industry that there are people people finding other jobs. Yeah, I'm mentoring a bunch of different people. And the one thing I tell someone is um, don't take your first role and six months later jump because someone's offering you five grand more a year. I go, I know you're like, James, you don't have the bills I have. You don't have the responsibilities I have. But a lot of times you'll end up regretting that one decision because you've you've really kind of cemented yourself somewhere, right? Um, you almost want to be, you know, I like to use football analogies. I use them all the time, by the way. So it has nothing to do with the budget of the show. But me. you almost want to be like a like a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, right? You kind of want to be a one. You kind of want to go into one company, and you want if you found the right leader, the right person at the top of the pyramid that's really taking care of you, where you go, you know what? I want to be in his role at some point. You don't necessarily want to leave that for a little bit more money. You always want to go back and negotiate. Say, listen, I'm getting a job offer for a little bit more money. Is there any way you guys can meet me, either match it or meet me halfway or meet me somewhere? Because I don't want to leave, but I also need to provide for my family. And this is a really good opportunity for financial liberty. And I, most of the time, we'll if we really want value that person, I don't know about you, but I'm like, all right, let's see what we can do for you. And you go back and you look at your budget and you go, you know what? Yeah, let's. But, you know, understand that we're going to give this to you now, but this is a conversation we're not going to have for another 12 months, right? Or 15 months or 16 months or 18 months, whatever that is. Yeah. Kind of setting up. So so you retain good people because that's. No, you look, you, you, you're hitting on it, right? And, and I, I, I equate that. And, and I'm not knocking those people that do that because there are real situations that you do. Need right. To there are situations you and I aren't aware of. We don't. We don't know what goes on in someone's life as much as we try to. If you've got 60 people in your team. You're not going to know what every single one of them is going through every single day. And I, look, I, I, I sort of put that back to like the difference between having a job and having a career. Right? right. When you have a job, usually you're focused on how much am I getting paid? Where's my next job that's going to get me the right amount of money to pay my bills? When you have a career, that means you're passionate about what you do. You actually don't look at compensation as like the, the first motivating factor. You look at the opportunity, the role, the leadership team, what you're going to learn, the exposure that you're going to have, the impact that you're going to have at the company. And then the cherry on the top is, am I going to be compensated very well? Right. And that that's usually the mentality that that I, I know that I have when I think about the roles that I've taken in my career. You know, I've always tried to gradually progress and learn from from role to role. Right. 
you know, and, and I've, I'll say I've gotten, I think I've gotten better as a leader. <laughs> you know, I, I would hope I've gotten better as a leader now that I've been doing it for, for, for more than a, a decade plus already uh, of being in a leadership role. Uh, because one, people want to work for me again, which I find fascinating <laughs> when they when they ping me and they say, hey, Tomas, can, you know, I know you went to this new role. Can you take me with you? Do you have an opportunity for me? So that that's a, that makes me feel good. But two, I, you know, when I first started out as a leader, you know, you 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 have to understand that your job as a leader is to make everybody else better on your team and to make sure that they're rising and sorry rising up in their career and being the best that they can be. Because your job is no longer to be that individual contributor. You're responsible and and to a certain extent accountable for somebody's career trajectory and their journey. So what I tell my leadership team is like I aspire to work for you one day, and I sincerely mean that. Because one, the job of a CISO is very hard. I have to train that next level of talent to take my job at some point in time because, dude, I got gray hairs, man. I you know, can't do this for- you know, I'll do, man. If you're in this business and you don't have grays, I want to have a conversation about exactly what you do every single day. Yeah, you must be you must be uh, uh, you must be working at a bank. <laughs> let, me not, let me not say that because that's that's a very stressful role. Trust me, seventeen years of financial services, I, I I know what that's like. But you know, the, the point is, our job is to motivate, drive, get get our team to that next level, get business engagement, make sure that we're hitting those targets from a business standpoint. Yes. I need to worry about cybersecurity and do all the standard blocking and tackling. Absolutely. Don't discount that at all. But everything else is what's really, you know, keeps me motivated. And it's and a lot of it has to do with the fact of being a leader within the organization, the ability that I have to enact change, both at my team levels for, from, a, from a purely uh, selfish standpoint, right? Being able to enact change in my team and get initiatives and drive forward uh, changes, but also more broadly across the league. And then ultimately what ends up impacting customers, right? And, and how our customers in, interact with us as a company. Uh, right. So I'm happy that I have those opportunities. I've always said that a good CISO, he's the, the head coach and the GM. He's Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you're able to do both and you're able to do both very, very well um, because you're able to, you, you've built a system where you're promoting from within, you're allowing the talent to 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 come in, but then the system that you've developed from a security perspective, kind of very similar to an offensive or defensive scheme, right? Bill Belichick had that. Tony Dungy had it. Had it. There, uh, Bill Walsh had it. All for my international audience, they're like, James, are you? What are you talking about? That sounds like Japanese, and it's not. These are all great football coaches who built programs and 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 developed leaders that uh, lead. You know, I think Bill Walsh single handedly developed a greatest set of leaders in the last 20 years in the NFL. Uh, when you think of, you know, coaches like Mike Shanahan and, 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 and a bunch of others, you know, you can go down that list. Um, no, there's, look, there's definitely a lot that, that you can learn from looking at those particular coaches, right? The way they motivate their players, the way they inspire their players and they get the best out of their players. There's definitely a lot that you can sort of uh, look at and learn and adopt in, in, uh, in your program as you're leading your team. You yeah, know, I, I do it. I've got a Lombardi right there. That's a signed Lombardi. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, what does it take to win? I didn't uh, plant that. I didn't send that to you either. So you did not. I, I actually, uh, I, that is a signed Vince Lombardi uh, image because I truly believe that as, you know, I look at my role as a CISO, then I look at a head coach slash GM 
And you almost can say, all right, you've got the same things. You've got to hire your coordinators. That's your, you know, your direct reports that are going to run different business units. You're also looking to get your players and you want to pick the right players. So your direct reports have the best chance to succeed. That's your coordinators, right? And you're also trying to plan strategy. How does one part play with the other part very, very well? Yep. You're looking ahead. You're thinking, how does how do I get someone who's uh, on my special teams unit to be, you know, my next great big wide receiver in the next two years? So my QB has another target to throw to. There's and and we do the same thing, and we can translate those skills in almost one to one in cyber, right? And it's 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 absolutely fascinating. I think that that's part of it. No, and, that, and that that's key, right? And and yeah. with with all of those key components, as well as the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect of it, right? Making sure that you are, you know, compensating for the different areas within your team and being, you know, expanding your mind to be inclusive and and have those different personalities and and ideas bring, be at the forefront of of the of the table, right? To but to the, bring that forward. So, no. the best players were the ones that were the loudest in the locker room sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, I can keep going, right? Like there's a list of players that were just um, – that stood out there that really challenged because they had a different set of thought. They had the diversity of thought that made – no one ever thought that they could do X until player X came and actually did it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so so, 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 so there's – I mean, Ronnie Lott, probably the best defensive back, uh, arguably one of the best defensive backs in history. I mean, that guy was – would hit. He was a hard hitter, I can tell you that much. Right, no defense – like he changed the defensive back game, right? He, he, he was actually kind of – he ushered Deion Sanders and so many others that, that were in that role, including Richard Sherman today. Like those guys are all kind of like a Ronnie Lott mold. Type of type of thing, but we're 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 escalating into football, which I enjoy talking. I, about. I was gonna say I know who I'm calling when I when I go to exit or retire from the NFL. You can have my row. <laughs> uh, but 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 it's to me. I, I you know one of the things I've done in my in my career as a CISO, and you know, is I've always compared security to football um, because I see a lot of similarities. No other sport has the complexities that football has. But no other division in the company has the complexities that security has. Security has a bunch of different arms. And you talked about it. Go study business writing and marketing and communication. Well, if you're a head coach, it's not good that you just know football. You got to know how to interview and answer media questions. You got to know how to deal with player relations, right? And I compare, it's the one sport I compare to being a CISO is being a football, is football because Every, you know, you're not relying on one player. You can't have a LeBron James dominate. You can't have a Kobe Bryant, may rest in peace, dominate. You can't have a Michael Jordan dominate in football. Tom Brady doesn't win the Super Bowl every year, right? He's I was just going to say, I'm going to I'm going to make sure to, to play this back for my for my, uh, my my leadership team so that way they can pay me like a head coach. <laughs> but, you know, Tom Brady doesn't win every single year. Because it's not just about him. It's about all the different components. And our security team is only as good as all the different components we have. Agree. 100% right? agree. Talking yeah. about security for just a second, I want to ask you, what's what part of security do you see us really – what challenges of security do you see really starting to become almost – all right, that's not a challenge anymore. It's kind of resolved. Let's focus on this picture because this picture is what I'm more concerned about. Yeah, look, I mean that that's a great question. And and you know, I, hopefully I can come up with something that, that that sounds that sounds some semblance of good, but no, that's a great question. 
I, I think there's a there's a few areas of security, you know, and, and I think what you're getting at is what's become sort of that white noise, right? Things right. that you things that you kind of you, you do, you know, you need to do it. it it's it, I don't want to say it's commoditized, but it is to a certain extent somewhat commoditized when I think about it. You know, and I think this this the aspects that I would that sort of come to mind would be um, some areas around how do we do things like um, you know pen testing and vulnerability management. Uh, I think some of those things, you know, and 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 I don't want the audience to take this the wrong way, but I, I think some of those things have become commoditized and that they're repeatable. Right. Um, I also think that there's a lot of companies that take that for granted and don't do those things and hence end up having uh, breaches because to me, those are fundamental things that you should be doing. But I, I, you know, when I think about this sort of more advanced, um, um, uh, not attacks, but the, the things that sort of keep me concerned, if you will, right, is, is things like, you know, deep fake technology, you know, misinformation, disinformation, you know, being able to, to leverage that to do things like let's say password resets on if you if you're doing some sort of a password resets with voice right or if you want to if you're sitting in one of our venues and somebody puts out some form of uh, uh deep fake you know with a video on one of the scoreboards right that that sends the wrong message and and now i've got a some level of chaos breaking out it's some of those emerging threats is what concerns me um, some of the, the threats around cyber physical, a lot of the threats around cyber physical concern me that we're seeing a, you know, uh, I'll say a trajectory in the wrong direction that is increasing the cyber threat landscape. Um, you know, you arguably you could, you could say that that's could potentially lead at some point in time to some sort of war, if you will. Right. Um, cyber is the next frontier. We know that cyber is the next frontier. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. We saw the uh, Department of Justice and um, and the Department of uh, of uh, uh, Export. They just um, sanctioned NSO Group and 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 and, and Cardio and, and a few others, um, including Positive Technologies out of Russia, for for cyber weapons. Mm -hmm. was, I, I can't. I, I couldn't. I mean, I I went to DuckDuckGo today and I was like, uh, cybersecurity companies under sanctions, and I can't remember the last time I couldn't find anything where the U.S. government sanctioned a cybersecurity company for selling offensive weapons. Yeah, no, look, it, it's getting to the point where you're starting to see real real ramifications, right? Companies are being impacted um, because of cyber cyber attacks and, and different types of cyber threats. And, you know, it shouldn't be taken lightly, right? It, it's definitely something that you need to focus in on. So I, I think it's going to continue to escalate. I, I think we'll see more types of attacks that, that bridge and border a line between that sort of cyber physical landscape. Um, and part of the reason or part, not reason, part of the problem is because we're starting, we, we keep taking our eyes, I think, off of the fundamentals of security, right? So, you know, patching, changing, change, arguably you could say changing passwords or go to password lists, whatever you want to do in the password realm, just do it right. You know, it, you, you can't get to password list if you never had a password complexity or password structure in the beginning, right? You didn't build in that fundamental. Uh, so, you know, just do do it right, get the fundamentals right, and then start to evolve from there. And hopefully that will help, you know, help you against uh, defending against these, these sort of fast and emerging uh, types of attacks. Uh, the, bad, the adversary is that's determined to get after you will get after They're you. Relentless. They are, that's their job, right? That's, that's yeah. their job. Um, you know, one of the one of the great CISOs that I know 
um, you know, it says, you know, CISOs, uh, sorry, CISO, uh, attackers have jobs too, right? And it's true. If you look at your logs and you see when you're being attacked, you'll see a pattern between nine to five certain times of the week uh, and, and nine to five relative to the location that they're operating in. And then you'll see some oddball things, which, is, you know, you can sort of equate maybe those are script kitties or folks that are just curious, but you'll see a consistent barrage between those operating hours. And if you do, and you see specific countries attacking you, that's their job. That's their sort of modus operandi. You know, I, I take that, uh, you know, we have to look at our adversaries and understand one what we're up against. Number two, um, like you said, do the basics right. You got to block and tackle. You got to have good vulnerability management. You got to have good patch management. You got to have, if you're, and like you said, if you're going to go passwordless, by all means, please, if you're going to go passwordless and biometric, please make it device-based and not cloud-based. Please. You know, I had a conversation with someone about a month or so ago, and they said, yeah, we're going full biometrics, and we're and we're actually going to put the biometrics in the cloud. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? Why not make it device-based? Because you encrypt it within the device. It, it Like Apple does it. Windows Hello does it. Like, yeah. it's, oh. it's, you know, look, people, a lot of times, you know, for better or worse, you know, some CISOs get what I'll call caught in those shiny object moments, right? Where if you think about a cat, right? You want to play a game with a cat. I guarantee you show a little laser light at a cat and instinctively they'll start to attack the right. laser light, right? Um, you know, you can't be like that when you're in this role because there's going to be new vendors approaching you with the latest and greatest shiny object. And if you chase those latest and greatest shiny objects, it'll, it'll send you down a rabbit hole. Um, what I like to do is I like to work with vendors like that. I like to provide them guidance, you know, advisory services so that they can, they can one, understand the, the problems and challenges that we have as CISOs, but also so that they can make products that are beneficial to the community and adding value, right? You know, what's the value proposition that you have? It can't just be, I've come up with a new latest buzzword and I'm going to sell that to a CISO, you know, and, and then make the job of the CISO even that much harder because now you've put out advertisements, you know, in, in the airports and, and on the TV screens. And now you've got a regular user saying, yeah, why do I need a password? I don't want to have to have a password. Right? And I'm, I know we're picking on passwords, uh, but it, it's, it's the same sort of vein of like do the fundamentals, get the fundamentals right. Absolutely agree with you on this, on the standard blocking and tackling. And, you know, it's then be able to react and pivot if something does happen and does occur so that you can respond relatively quickly, right? So yeah. again, it sounds like we're saying in this framework and I didn't mean to sound like a NIST hybrid security, no, but, but, but it's, 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 that the, model, it's that model. Listen, take the CIS top 20, just do do the CIS top 20, do the top 10 good. You yeah. do the top 10 good, you've, you've reduced your threat landscape by 90, 95%. You do the other 10, you're really hardening your, your surface, you're increasing the cost of the attack. Um, and, and, and that's a whole different thing. All right, so we're almost out of time. I want to get us to the CISO Insight round here. So, Tomas, you're on the hot seat. Lightning round. Here we go. My buzzword graveyard. Bury one buzzword. <laughs> I've got a few, but uh, I don't know. Something about zero trust. <laughs> what does zero trust mean? What does that mean? I mean, it means zero trust. Exactly. And how can we get rid of that, please? Can we can we put that to rest? Let's really get rid of that buzzword. There's, there's, you know, we're going to have to have a wider conversation. I've had zero trust in my buzzword graveyard now for the last year and a half. I did a survey on LinkedIn and I said, is zero trust a strategy or a buzzword? And it was a 50-50 divide, literally down the middle. 
50-50, people were like, it's a buzzword and it's it means nothing. And other people were like, it's a legitimate security strategy. My 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 challenge. Look, I I agree with this with the with the if you want to call it a framework or the thought process or the context okay. around zero trust. I agree with that, right? Being able to authenticate, and, and I'm saying authenticate because to me zero trust really comes down to being able to authenticate yeah. humans, being able to get, authenticate devices, being able to authenticate networks to two services or two resources, right? Um, if you're really focused on that, then I think. Yes, it makes sense. It, it absolutely is a component of the strategy, but it has been for years, right? We've been doing this for years. Somebody just decided to put a nice little buzzword around it. To I, I call it trust but verify. Yeah, exactly. Trust but verify. That, that's, again, that we've, we've always focused on those particular items. Um, I, 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 where I get hung up on, and, and the reason why I say put it in the graveyard is when you've got vendors that are selling you, you know, products that are like so far out there and they're just putting zero trust to kind of get your attention. Yeah. Someone in marketing was like, Hey, brilliant idea. Let's put zero trust. Yeah. Here, here's the next one. What's one technology that'll change the way we practice cybersecurity? Ooh, man. One technology that changed the way we practice cybersecurity. Wow. I don't know. I wish I. I wish I knew. I, I wish. You think I, quantum is going to change the way we? we, we look, I, I think quantum is interesting. It, it, um, you know, it might. It might have some revolution. Not revolutionary, but it might have some advancements to it because now you, you'd be able to do things like processing and, and and getting other sort of mechanisms done quicker. Um, yeah, I, I I would take your suggestion and say quantum might have an interesting take or an interesting trajectory change uh, for what we do. I think quantum is going to be the difference between discovering a breach three months later to 10 minutes after it happens because you know, of the power of data processing. Yeah, look, I, I and, and that's why I say I, I think that'll help. I agree with that. It'll help speed up that process. Um, but if we if we still have humans in the mix, you, you still need some level of human interaction with the output of that process, uh, potentially. To be able to discern what's good, bad, or indifferent, unless well, you completely dedicated it to that. So well, that, that takes us to like what would quantum look like with actual AI? But we're not going to go down that road because we're almost out of time. So um, you and I will have to do that maybe on the clubhouse room one day. Okay. <laughs> what's the current book you're reading? Current book, uh, Never Eat Alone. Okay. Never Eat Alone. I, I uh, let me see if I could pull up the art. Keith Ferrazzi, Never Eat, Never Eat Alone. It's a really good book around networking sort of being able to build your network, uh, relationship building. If you think about everything that we do in, in security, uh, it's all about relationships, making that connection with that other individual, whether it's a business person, whether it's a uh, salesperson, whether it's your team. And so Never Eat Alone is, is probably one of the books. Uh, I get no money from that. So I don't usually plug books, but I think that's been one that's fascinating to me as of late. And on your Netflix, what are you streaming right now? Oh, Netflix. Um, man, I, I don't, I don't, or Amazon Prime. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I have Amazon Prime, I have Netflix as well. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm a gamer, man. I, I, I actually, when I'm not sort of uh, working and I, and I have some time to do mindless TV, I actually like, uh, I enjoy uh, doing some gaming. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of the game. I'm not going to give out my, my sort of user IDs. I don't want anybody sort of trying to find me. But there might be some some sports games that I like to play as well as some uh, first-person shooter games to, to release some stress. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I box. That's my thing. Um, 
right, your favorite music? Music, uh, I'm Latino, so I, I, I love some good salsa music, uh, a lot of Latin music. I grew up obviously in New York, New York City, so hip hop and R&B, it's in my blood, in my DNA, and, uh, and what we call reggaeton, which is that sort of combination of Jamaican music or, or reggae music with some Spanish flavor added to it. Man, reggaeton, you're reminding me of the days when uh, we used to roll down the streets in New York and you'd hear reggaeton in every street corner. <laughs> Those were the days. Folks, Tomas Maldonado, the CISO over at the NFL, thank you for being the last guest on this format of CISO Talk. 2022, folks, we'll be back with a lot more. Tomas, thank you. And how um, you've got a club on Clubhouse, right, that you do every Wednesday night. I do, I do, and thanks for that. Thanks for that. I wasn't actually planning to plug that, but Clubhouse every Wednesday is called Fireside Chat. We do it every Wednesday between 8 p.m. Eastern time and 9:30 p.m. Eastern time. We have different guests from across the industry, whether they're cybersecurity leaders, technology leaders, uh, lawyers, uh, general counsels. You know, really looking for that variation of, of talent across the industry to share their journey, share their experience. Uh, so come join us on Clubhouse Fireside Chat. Yeah, it's one of my favorite rooms when I'm able to make it on Wednesday nights. really is. I actually changed one of my shows so I can make yours. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I really appreciate that. All right, folks, that's it for us here today. Till uh, January 2022 is when we'll see you next. Until then, have a great winter vacation, folks. Happy holidays. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of Tomas, I'll wish you all a farewell and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.